Amen. Good morning. My name is Trent. I get the privilege of being the pastor here. I'm glad you're here this morning. As I said, we're in Mark chapter 5. This is part 3 of uh, this series called Tell Your Story. And really it's built upon our strategy as a church that we've kind of embraced, adopted, if you will, uh, to say this is how we want um, to spread the gospel to those around us. We believe that God has called us uh, to, to uh, dis- be distributors. Not, not hold, we're not going to hold on to something. We're going to be distributors of the things that God's given us. We're blessed to be a blessing. And uh, so we've adopted this kind of three-tiered strategy. The base level strategy uh, for us, a part of that strategy for us, is this culture of invitation, that we would be people who regularly, consistently, normally invite people to church. It's just a part of who we are. Everybody gets to participate in this. If you're tired of hearing about this, good. I'm, re- I'm actually very glad about that because at that point you're like, oh, okay. Just, um, the, but we as, a, as a people who, who uh, participated in this culture of invitation regularly say to people, hey, listen, do you go to church anywhere regularly? You go to church anywhere regularly? Oh, yeah, we go to such and such. Oh, that's awesome. Some people say, no, not really. Man, we'd love to have you join us some Sunday morning. We'd love that. We'd love for you to come and connect with all the things that God's doing here at Heritage Park. Uh, it's just a normal part of that converse, of our conversation, and we can have it when we're sitting in line uh, somewhere. We can have it uh, at the grocery store. We can have it multiple other times, but it doesn't take very long. What we find, though, is that uh, as we participate in that and as we ask that question regularly, it gives us space to tell our story. And that's, that's kind of the thing that we're locking in on in this series. And when we tell our story, we get the opportunity to share about how God has uh, worked in our lives or how God has sustained us. Because some people say, no, I don't go to church anywhere regularly. Because five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever, I went through a divorce and blah, 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 blah. and you go, hey man, listen, golly, I'm so sorry that that's part of your story. Can I share just a little bit of my story? And then you offer, oh, well, you know, there was a time when I was really lonely and it was just a deep, dark place for me. And you go, golly, that must have been really hard. Can I share with you just a a second about, you know, a time when I was uh, maybe feeling lonely or something like that? You get the opportunity. When you engage people on a meaningful level, specifically when you bring up church, they, they typically have a response. That response is often an open door to tell your story. And then as we become good tellers of our story, uh, we get the opportunity to share the gospel, to look somebody in the eye and say this, hey, listen, man, I'm sorry that you went through that. I know that it was a hard time for me when I went through something similar, but here's what I know, that Jesus loves you so much that he died for your sin in your place and he uh, rose to give you new life. Like we just saw um, uh, testified to on the baptism there. He rose to give you new life so that you can have forgiveness and freedom and eternal life. That, and you don't have to do a dance. You don't have to you know, get all gussied up for anything. Instead, what you do, how do, how do you do that? You turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus and trust him. That's the beautiful part of the gospel. It's not, a, it's not a real complicated thing. Jesus died for you. He rose again to give you life. You, put, you turn from your sin and you put your trust in him. He forgives you and he gives you new life. That's a great thing. That's where we want to get to is to be people who share the gospel. And I told the 830 service this as well. I will encourage you in this way. Uh, also, um, the culture of invitation stuff, you're getting it. And I'm so proud of you for that. Like, let's keep at it, though. Like, let's keep going with that. And as it happens, let's be people who uh, tell our story. And that's why we're concentrating in this, uh, in, this, in this particular way for these weeks together. So in Mark chapter 5, it's a great story. And again, as I said the past couple of weeks, really all I'm supposed to do is tour guide here. Just kind of point out the big sights along the way, the highlights, if you will. In Mark chapter 5, here we are. 
Verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerizines. And just pause here for just a second and say the context is Jesus and his disciples have just gotten into a boat. They've sailed across. Big storm came up. Jesus is like, not today. Peace, be still. And uh, the, the water stopped and the wind quit and all that kind of stuff. And the disciples are like, wait a minute. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Reframe that question as this. Who is this that creation bows down to? Creation bows down to one person, one person only, the creator. So it's starting to click for them. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him uh, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Uh, so but as we get into this story here, one of the highlights, uh, one of the kind of uh, things that I want to make sure that we point out to one another is this, that the, the condition that this guy finds himself in. How does this, how does this story start? He st- it starts with this terrible condition. And look, look back in verse 2. Uh, when he got out of the boat, Jesus did. There came, there, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. It's not like he was just visiting there. Like this is where he had set up shop. This is where he built his campfire. This is where he lay his head down. And so uh, the, the first thing that you notice about this uh, along the way of, of his condition is he was surrounded by death. He lived in the tombs and... He had an unclean spirit, like internal, external, death is all around him. Uh, this is a silly way to help you understand this and kind of what this situation is or feels like, but it's, it's the way that I could think of. How many of you uh, really hate, and I mean hate, like base level hate crowded elevators? Anybody with me on this? Thank you. Uh, so this week, uh, taking a little bit down to um, Texas Children's follow-up deal, and we get on a crowded elevator, and of course you own the elevator, and then like five more people get on, you're thinking, I'm going to be the last one, I'm going to be the last one, I'm going to be the last one, and then you get on, and like five more people, you're like, oh. For me, the older I get, the more claustrophobic I get in certain situations, elevators is the primary way. And it starts messing with me, man. Anybody with me on this? Like your heart rate goes up, your breathing, you go like, me, I'm scoping it out. I'm looking around like, okay, if it stops mid-floor, I want to look around and I want to figure out who am I going to throw up on and who am I going to freak out on. Like, I want to see which is going to be. Anybody with me on this? You're just going to be honest with me? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, and because there's just this surrounding, right? I mean, like, you're, you're surrounded by it. Everybody's pressing in on you, and you're like, hey, 36 inches, 36 inches, and then it's not happening, personal space bubble, not happening. Uh, it's just continually pressing on you. It's just continually moving in towards you, uh, and there's, you, you basically can't go anywhere. This is how that guy was. He was surrounded by death. Everywhere he went externally, it was just pressing in on him. He lived among the tombs. And when he'd sit down and it was quiet and it was dark and he couldn't see all the death that surrounded him externally, what did he have to deal with? The unclean spirit, the demon that was inside of him. So death just kept pressing. It just kept pressing. It surrounded him. Death surrounded him. It doesn't stop there, though. 
He lived among the tombs, verse 3, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. No one. So not only did death surround him, there was no natural solution to his problem. The townspeople were like, oh man, here's what we need. We need this guy to get in. And he would just, no, uh-uh. I tell you what, if we, if we you know, put some chains on it, he went all Hulk on him. It's just not happening. There is no natural solution to his problem. They couldn't, uh, they, they couldn't deal with the things that were going on in his life. Why? Because they were trying to bring physical solutions to what was primarily a spiritual problem. Now, it manifested itself socially. It manifested itself psychologically. It manifested itself relationally. Uh, it certainly manifested itself physically, but there was no natural solution to his problem. There was no law. There was no force that could deal with his issue. Um, I want to say that because I want to say this to you as a church family. Hear us carefully. The things that most of us face, the, the, the vast majority of the problems that most of us deal with are not going to be solved by new laws or new forces. Why? Because they're primarily spiritual issues. They may manifest themselves relationally. They may manifest themselves psychologically. They may manifest themselves physically or socially or, or vocationally or whatever, but they are primarily, at their core, they're, they're primarily spiritual issues, not some of these other issues. So I say that to say this. Be careful how much hope you put into politics. How much hope you put into economics. How much hope you put into your work situation? How much hope you put into a relationship? Be careful because those things typically don't fix the root issue that we have. That's why we continue to have the same issue over and over and over again. Anybody? Don't raise your hand on that one, okay? There's no natural solution to his problem. And lastly, you look at verse 5. It's a sad verse. Night and day among the tombs. And on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Despair. Despair was his life. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when we talk about despair, we're talking about it was the kind of despair that makes life seem like death or makes death seem like a better option than the life that you're living. Despair. You've known people like that maybe who've gone into this deep, dark hole and for the life of you, you keep reaching down and reaching down and reaching down and reaching down, trying to grab hold of them and at least pull them up, trying to at least shine a flashlight down there so that they can see. But there's this despair that's just clinging on to them, and you're doing everything that you can to pull them up out of there. So at least hold on to them. And they just, oh, I don't think, I, I don't think, I don't, I'm not sure, I don't think. Despair was his life. That night and day, crying out among the tombs, cutting himself with stones. That's the condition that this guy faced. And you're sitting there thinking, I'm so glad I came to church today. What a great thing. Death surrounded him. No natural solution. Despair. This is wonderful. The best part of that portion right there is that that's not where the story ends. I say that because some of you are looking at your life right now and the darkness and the demonic and all the hard things that you're walking in right now, all the terrible things that you're struggling with right now, you're looking at your life going, it's not where the story ends. It may be where the story is, but it's not where it ends. So Jesus steps in, thankfully. Verse 6, 
And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. Just pause for a second. The reason why the demons are speaking the way that they're speaking is because it was kind of uh, the folklore was if you could name somebody, that that somehow uh, lessened their power in the spiritual battle. So the demons are saying, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, as if they're going to lessen his spiritual power. And Jesus is like, hey man, call me what you want. I ain't playing here. That's the Greek translation of waste. Verse 8. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. I'm going to name you, Jesus said of the Most High God, so that your power will be lessened. No, 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 no. You're not going to lessen my power by naming me. Listen to me, church. I don't have time to preach this, but just listen. Some people name you and fly banners over your life. That doesn't have to define who you are. Jesus said to him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. So not just one demon, multiple, a a whole legion of them. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. So let's just talk for a minute about supernatural deliverance because the condition was bad, death and despair, no natural solution. What then then does Jesus bring? Uh, He brings supernatural deliverance. And what I mean by that is that Jesus is able to do what nobody else can do. He is able to bind what nobody else can bind. He is able to help when nobody else can help. He is able to deliver what nobody else can deliver. He is able to save uh, the, the people that nobody else can save. He is able to touch the people that nobody is willing to touch. He is able to do what nobody else can do. He is able to look at the wind and the waves and say, peace, be still. Who is this that even the wind and the waves? Jesus binds what nobody else can bind. He liberates what nobody else can liberate. Jesus is willing to deal. Now listen, he's willing to deal with your issue, your problem. He's willing to deal with what's really going on. And he, and he can. He can deal with that. I, I, I bring that up to, to point this out also. Just like last week, we talked about this, and let me just briefly say it, that one more, one, one more time here, that Jesus is the hero of this story. Remember last week we talked about sometimes we write ourselves in as the hero of our stories? Don't do that. Jesus is the hero of this story. He's the hero of the story here. He's the hero of your story. He's the hero of every story. He's the one who does this. Why? Because he does what nobody else can. He binds what nobody else can. He strengthens what nobody else can. He frees what nobody else can. Supernatural deliverance. That's where it starts. And then look, look where it continues. Verse uh, 10. Uh, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Verse 11. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, everybody pause to mourn the loss of bacon in that moment. Why were there pigs anyway? This is is a, a, a Gentile part. It's over across the Sea of Galilee. It's a Gentile part. Some of you are really worried about the pigs. Let me deal with the pigs here in just a second. I don't want you to miss this, though that there was, there was an exchange, and it went something like this. A, a super, uh, excuse me, a spiritual exchange, su- something supernatural, a spiritual exchange and a physical death. A spiritual exchange and a physical death. You had a guy who was in 
uh, uh, he was in you know, great spiritual distress, and Jesus liberated him, and then there was this physical death of these pigs, all the craziness that, that was that. He had a spiritual um, uh, exchange and a physical death. Now, if you're thinking, maybe some light bulb's starting to come on here, because 10 chapters later in this book called Mark, there's another spiritual exchange and a physical death. In Mark 15, Jesus is the one who dies. And the spiritual exchange is the exchange that God makes his life for our life, his sinlessness for our sin. Because what happened on the cross was Jesus died willingly in our place and God took my sin and placed it on Jesus. And he took my punishment and he placed it on Jesus. That's a spiritual exchange and a physical death. His death, not mine. I'm the one who deserved it. You're the one who deserved it. We all are people who deserved it. We, we all were in uh, such terrible shape, such horrible shape, such bad shape, so, so separated, so distant from God that we, there was no way we were ever going to overcome, uh, overcome that, that distance, overcome that separation. We weren't ever going to be good enough. We weren't ever going to be nice enough. We were never going to be anything enough except just gone. We were gone. And so in steps Jesus. And when he comes to us, he dies on the cross. Uh, when he comes to the world, he dies on the cross for us, taking our punishment and giving his life so that anybody who turns to him, anybody who turns to him, no matter what your past is, no matter what your baggage is, no matter what your trouble is, anybody who turns to him and puts their trust in him receives forgiveness, freedom, and eternal life. A spiritual exchange and a physical death. I think part of this story is in here just to remind us that there's something coming. There's something coming. Now, I'll just put a parenthesis here in the sermon. What about the pigs, though? The pigs. What about the pigs? Let's say two things. Uh, number one, uh, it was, if you read carefully, I hope you do, it was the demons that caused the pigs to go running into the sea. Uh, forces of darkness, demonic things like that, they always bring death and destruction. And if they are good at it, then what they do is try to get Jesus blamed for it. They do the destroying, and Jesus takes the heat for it. This is what happened in this story. True in this story, true in your life. Not something to mess around with, folks. So it was the demons who did it. Secondly, let's not lose perspective here because um, 2,000 pigs, all the bacon, I mean, all the jokes aside, like 2,000 pigs and all the economics that went with that, they certainly went away. A guy got delivered and set free. Let's not lose perspective here. Let's not be like the folks uh, from the story a couple of weeks ago where uh, the parents and the Pharisees were so wrapped up in, in keeping uh, uh, pro uh, protocols in place about the Sabbath, that they forgot that a kid who was born blind can now see. Let's not forget that. That little perspective. Pigs, yes, but, but this spiritual exchange matters more. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. God made Jesus to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You and I are made right one way and one way only, and that is through the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we put our faith in him, that's what happens to us. We receive his kind of life. Okay, so you know what the condition is. You know what the supernatural deliverance is. Now, you and I, we're sent with our story here. We are sent with our story. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see 
excuse me, people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And man, they were so joyful and excited and great. What's it say? And they were afraid. And they were afraid. They had never encountered power like this, and so they didn't know what to do. They, they had no idea how to process everything that had gone on, so they were afraid. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described it to them, uh, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Why? Because they longed for their comfort and control and not the power of Jesus. They wanted something that they could understand, not something that they couldn't understand. They wanted something that they could control, not something that they couldn't control. Hey, Jesus, uh, you're weird. Look, can you go ahead and just mosey on along? That'd be great. There will always be people who will not understand. You need to know that. Some people just will not understand. Does that prevent people from telling their story? It shouldn't. There will be sometimes when you have to uh, uh, sit down, you go down and sit down and tell your story, and people are looking at you like, mm, I don't know, I don't know. Shouldn't stop you from telling your story. Some people will just not understand. Uh, again, go back to uh, a couple of weeks ago from John chapter 9. The guy who's born blind, Jesus heals. His parents freak out because they're getting all this social pressure. Pharisees freak out because they got all this religious pressure. Nobody is celebrating the fact that a guy who was blind is now seeing. There will be people who don't understand. Last week, uh, in, in Acts 26, as Paul's telling his story, Festus, the king, uh, the, the, the Roman governor's like, Paul, your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Did that keep Paul from telling his story? No. There will always be people who don't understand. And instead of that kind of pushback that says, oh, I just won't tell my story anymore, what it should do is push us toward telling our story with greater passion, telling our story with a, a broader audience, telling our story with um, a, a, a higher hope that we can persuade. Some people just want to understand. Look, keep looking though. Verse 18, he was getting into the boat. The, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And that's such a good instinct. Hey, Jesus, you just healed me. You just delivered me. You just set me free. Can I just go with you like now? It's a good instinct. But Jesus... Jesus leaves people where they are. Listen, folks, he leaves people where they are because he gives them a purpose. You're in the spot that you are because God's given you a purpose. Verse 19, he did not permit it, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how, is he, how he has had mercy on you. And I'll just point out these three things and we'll get ready to wrap up. He sent him to a place. What did he say? Verse 19, go home, go home. Go to the place that I'm sending you. Go home. It starts where you live. If you're going to be an everyday missionary, which is kind of what this is about, when we're sent with our story, people who are sent with their story are, are sent as everyday missionaries. You don't have to wear a funny hat. You don't have to do it. You just, you just go. You just go live. Go home, he says. He sent you to a place. Where had he been living? In the tombs, among the thing, in the mountains, in the hills, that kind of thing. He's saying, look, you've got a home. Go there and start there. One of the great things, families, that we can offer our family members is stories of how God has moved in our lives and how he's worked in our lives. And maybe you can think about that in terms of uh, how you can tell that story, to whom you can tell that story. It would inspire a, a generation that's coming behind us to share these stories of how God's been at work. Go home. Let it start with where you live. And then he says, go home 
to your friends. So not only is there a place, he sends us in a direction, but he also sends us to a people. He sends us to a people. Go to your friends. You have friends. Maybe you haven't seen them in a long time because you've been living in the hills possessed by a legion of demons, but you've got friends. Now, go tell them. Go, go home to them and, and tell them. Go home and tell them. And you think to yourself right now, you're thinking, huh, I wonder who that would be for me. I'm so glad you asked. I, I really am. I'm genuinely glad you asked. Because you have five circles of influence. I just want to point these out to you. If you are a uh, note taker or you just like drawing circles, this is a good time to pull out your pen and write these down. You've got the circle of family. Well, you don't know my family. I don't have much influence. They're still your family. You've got the opportunity to influence. Well, I'm still young. Maybe I don't have much influence in them, but you have some. Oh, I'm too old. Maybe I don't have as much influence as I once did, but you have some. This is a circle of influence for you, a place where God has put you to be an influence, to be a light. That's family. You've got a circle of friends. This is your second circle. Uh, uh, people you hang out with, people you talk to, people you send uh, emails to or texts to or Facebook messages to or whatever. Friends. People that you're connected to. People that you love and care about. People, if they asked you to do something, you would do that. That's, that's your circle of friends. You've got neighbors, people who live beside you. I mean, quite literally, neighbors. If you're going to be an everyday missionary, one of the great places it could start is in your neighborhood, wherever that may be. Now, your neighbors may be weird. They may be freaky. They may do crazy stuff. I mean, they may be not interested at all. You still have neighbors. One of my neighbors drives right into the garage, punches the garage door button before they get out of the car. So all you see is feet. Like, I, I know this much of my neighbors, like that much, the bottom, like 18 inches. Okay. But you have neighbors. Uh, you have coworkers, people that you interact with on a vocational level. Think about the things that you get into. This is one of the things I want to encourage you to be an everyday missionary. Why? Because some of you, no, 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 that's not true. All of you, all of you get into conversations that I will never get into or could get into. I don't have a badge that lets me into your work. You know that, right? So it's not like you can bring a pastor to work day. You know what I mean? Like you're the missionary to your workplace. You are. So you have coworkers. Well, I'm actually a stay-at-home parent. No, 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 no. You still have people in that circle, that coworker circle, that vocational circle, raising kids circle. And lastly, the pattern or, or the rhythm. The, how many of you, I'll just point it out this way, how many of you shop at the same grocery store? Raise your hand real high so we can all see creatures of habit, right? Also, because we know where the eggs and milk are and we don't want to spend five hours looking for them, right? I mean, that's why we go to that place. If they ever do the rearranging thing, our first phone call is to the manager. Why did you do this to me? We, we, we go to the same place because that's, guess what? The same people work there. Did you know that? Get your oil changed at the same place. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, always play soccer with the same group of people. Baseball. You know what I mean? Like on and on we could go. You've got a pattern in your life. That we could, if we looked at your weekly schedule, we could kind of track and see where you go and what you do. It's a pattern. And that's not a bad thing. There's a rhythm to that. There's a, there's a part of that that's a good thing. And so uh, th this pattern, this rhythm puts us in places and, and puts us in circumstances over and over and over again where we can uh, uh, develop uh, relationships with the people around us who are also there. 
So you sit on the soccer sidelines and have conversations with parents. You sit in the stands at basketball and you have conversations with parents. Yes, some of them are obnoxious. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. But you still look to have conversations with them, people who are in your pattern, people who are in your rhythm. Go home. Tell your friends. He sends us to a place and he sends us to a people. And then lastly, he sends us uh, with content. Look at the end of verse 19. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He sends us with content. And you think to yourself, yeah, but this is where it gets really weird for me because I've never been a demoniac who lived in the tombs with the stuff. Jesus never set me free. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I, you're, listen, you're right. It was way worse for you than that. Because you were eternally separated from God because of your sin. And the place you were living was way darker than a cemetery. The place where you were living was alone and distant and far away and in sin. So much so that the Bible calls it spiritual death. And yet Jesus reached down to you like he reached down to this guy and rescued you like he rescued him. It's way worse for you than it was for him. So go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you because that's exactly what he's done. He's had mercy. And I'm praying for you this week that, that not only you'll get the opportunity to tell your story, but also that the impact will be the same. Look at verse 20. And when he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. Praying for you that that's the outcome of your storytelling as well. I'm going to pray, but I don't want you to put your stuff up yet. Because I want you to take a second. As we kind of get silent and settled here, think about those five circles. Your friends, your co-workers, your family, your neighbors, and those in your pattern, those in your rhythm. Could you assign a name to each of those five? Could you, I mean, quite literally, draw five circles and write a name in there? And then when I pray, we're going to ask God for help in connecting with those people, that our paths would cross in such a way that we would get an opportunity to tell our story. So let's get settled, and I'm going to pray. And you take a minute, if you can, and write down a name. God, the names that are being written down, thought about, noted on a phone. These are all people that you care deeply about, eternally about. These are people, God, that you're passionate about. So I pray that you would um, instruct the circumstances of our week to fall in line such that our paths can cross and there's time to talk and uh, there's a cup of coffee in our hand and in their hand and we've got just a few moments together to have that conversation. God, you have been so merciful to us. 
You have done so much for us. You've had mercy on us when our kids were sick, and you had mercy upon us when we went through this relational time and uh, in our marriage, and you, you've had mercy upon us uh, when we needed this job, and you've had mercy upon us when we've done all of these kinds of things. You had mercy upon mercy upon mercy. I pray we would get the opportunity to tell our story this week. And we would take that opportunity and speak about the mercy that you've had on us. I ask this for Jesus' sake, for the sake of his kingdom. Amen. Hey, listen, let's stand together. And uh, if you've been with us the past several weeks, uh, you know that we've asked people to come forward for prayer if, um, if they need it. And this is the time when we're going to do that because we had baptism earlier and stuff. We've kind of relocated it in the service today. But if you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything at all, this verse from Psalm 103, check this verse out. <clears throat> it says, as a father um, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Not judgment, folks. Not an elbow drop. He shows compassion. Compassion to those who fear him. So if you need the Lord's mercy this morning, for whatever reason, um, relationships, something spiritual, something else is going on in your life, any reason, you make your way forward. You can come and kneel here at these kneeling benches. You can come and use the stairs or some sort of altar just to set these things before the Lord and go, here, God, have compassion on me for this. If you're here this morning and you're not sure you're going to make it down front by yourself, grab somebody by the hand. They'll come with you. Uh, and if you know somebody who needs to come, grab them by the hand or by the ear or whatever you need, just drag them down. M maybe somebody needs to come down and just stand in proxy for somebody. It's not me, but God, here I am. I'm presenting this on somebody else's behalf. We're going to sing a verse a little bit. You make your way forward and then we'll stop. Uh, pause. We won't stop. We'll pause and pray as a church family. Okay, you come on right now. <clears throat>